All right, so lesson number 16, and uh, we're going to be looking at this section from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. And it's like I put there at the top of here, this is not a happy, this is not a happy section of scripture. Um, one of the commentaries I was, I was reading, they said it's, it's like, you know, if you want to drive to Colorado from here, you got some not really exciting things to drive through. Western Kansas, Western Oklahoma, although I like lots of the Panhandle area, but other people don't. Um, but, you know, there's sometimes in things that you want to do, there's, there's a difficult section. There's parts that you wish you didn't have, you know, and um, that's this section. But what this section demonstrates is the righteousness of God. And so we read that in verse 17. So let's go back and look at verse 17. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, verse 17, for in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the, the righteous actions of God are revealed in the gospel. You read the gospel, how God promised to send his son. He did. His son paid the price for us that we might have life. God removed our sin and gave us life through him. All of that in this gospel message that God would triumph through his son, Jesus Christ, and ultimately in all of history, his son is going to stand as judge eternal over all things. And that's all, that's all wrapped up in the gospel. And in that gospel, God's righteous actions are revealed. It's, it's a beautiful story. Unless you absolutely hate it. And there are those who do. Maybe at one point in your life, you were one of those. Because as we read this section, don't forget that we could have been here. There are people who, who right now are this way who will be changed. There are people who have been this way and have been changed. So when we read this, don't forget that God can change anything and removing all of our sin is the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So let's read it and then we'll come back and start with the notes. Chapter one, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. Does that Kind of sound a little familiar. The righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Well, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. But you know what? I didn't put these in the notes, but uh, look at another passage. Tomb of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because there's not just people like this in past history, but there's people like this still today. And so let me find chapter 6 here. My Bible pages don't. It's not that I haven't used this Bible. The pages are very thin. That's my, that's my excuse. Um, let's see, where's the verse I'm looking for? Nine. Verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't stop. Read the next verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. 
verse 3, for, Titus 3, verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He could just stop there and have church. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, because they, they certainly weren't works of righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom, we, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow. Thank God for that. So let's go back to Romans 1. So when we read this section, don't think that these people are without hope. Now, the title of my message is When God Gives Up. So, oh, when I told Jen my title tonight in the car, she even said, God never gives up. Well, yeah, you need to read this. So, uh, listen. So much of the scriptures, and as we study the scriptures, are, are a presentation of God's compassion, His love, how God pursues us and loved us and longed for us. And even before time began, He began a plan to redeem the man who hadn't even been created yet, let alone fallen. And so God did all of that, but God's holiness demands that man's sin be dealt with. And so I put some words in there, they're in bold letters, that, uh, that those who are going to be in his presence must be justified, reconciled, redeemed, and propitiated. Okay, there's a big word. But we'll talk about that in a couple lessons down the line, chapter 3. They must be propitiated. Just, just throw that word into your conversation in the next couple of days, you know. But this is what the Bible calls salvation. So to be justified, reconciled, redeemed, propitiated, that's, that's salvation. How many glad you have that? Amen. But you see, the key to receiving salvation is that little word, faith. Because if you don't believe... You cannot be saved. And so faith is this all-essential part, and that's what the, the book of, of Romans is about. We must believe, but there are those who do not believe, who have not believed. What about them? Will God redeem them anyway? Overlook their sin? The rejection of his salvation. God just set that all aside so he can have all mankind with him. There are those who teach that. It's called universalism. And that no matter what you do, Jesus died for everybody's sins, so everybody's saved. Well, it sure makes the work of the church a lot easier. No purpose for missionaries, right? 
So, you know, all the mission works are useless since they're all going to heaven anyway. But that's not biblical. And what about these people? Well, that's the subject of Romans 1. But I want you to notice a phrase that's going to occur in this passage time and again. God gave them up. He gave them up. Now, see, when we talk about God giving up, we're not talking about resigning in defeat. See, when we give up, it's usually, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. I can't go on. I'm going to give up. Um, I, I got to be, I just thought of this in Hawaii, and uh, Miss Donna took us me out to a place of the beach with the black sand, what, what's that called? Whatever. Anyway, but it's a long walk down. And so I thought, I'm going to walk all the way down to this black beach and get some incredible pictures of the cliffs, and there's waterfalls back there, and I thought, this is going to be really, really incredible. But they all waited in the car while I carried all my (laughs) camera stuff down. But it was these big rocks is not just a nice plan little thing it's big rocks you're walking over and rough ground and uneven and I'm going down there and it's like well this is okay and then a little further it says well it's not quite so okay and I got about two-thirds way down and I could see that it was switchbacks finally reached the beach and I thought here's the problem I got to walk back up. (laughs) So I found a clearing, took some pictures, and began my trek back up. See, that's defeat. I got it, not full defeat, but my, my project was to get down to that black beach and take pictures of the waves coming in. Okay, I can find somebody online who did that. So I get back, and Pastor Jeff says, oh, yeah, we walked down there a couple times. You know, it's just like, oh, all right, thank you very much. You can go sit down. Okay, but that defeat. But when God gives up, it's not defeat. It's he's done what he can do, and that's all he's going to do. That's it. I'm not going to do anymore. Not because I can't. It's because I won't. So, what about this? Little headline there. Long-suffering is not endless. God's long-suffering. The Bible talks about God's patience or long-suffering. The problem is that the word patience and long-suffering are not the same. They may be in our minds, and unfortunately in your Bible, sometimes the word for long-suffering is translated patience. I prefer two different words that, that would show this, and that is, number one, patience is really better translated as endurance. The Greek word hupomone, there it's in your notes, uh, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E, hupomone, and hupomone means to, to abide under the weight, to bear up, to endure. 
and to, to stand under the weight. And this word is consistently used in dealing with circumstances, things. And so in the New Testament, patience or this hupomone is dealing with things that come against us, trials, pressures, uh, things from this world, things from Satan himself. And we are called to endure, to stand, to be patient. All right? So that's patience. Long-suffering is really slow to anger. That's what it means. Slow to anger or long time to anger. And it's used consistently in the Bible in reference to people. We are called to be long-suffering toward one another in the body of Christ. It's found several times. Now, don't look at anybody. Don't elbow anybody. But sometimes dealing with people, you need to be long time to anger. All right. But notice it's long time to anger. God's long suffering is not eternal suffering. Jesus said, Peter asked, how many times should I forgive a man? Seven times seven? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Uh... That's, that's an awful lot of times. But he didn't say a hundred times seven. He said 70. So even in Jesus' interpretation of that, it was it's not eternal. There is a place where you can't go any further. Not because you don't want to, but because they won't allow you to go any further. And that's God's long-suffering with man. There is an end to God's putting off his anger against those who have offended him, offended his word, offended his righteous and holiness. And so this happened. So there were times when God immediately or took action against those things, the flood, fire and brimstone from right, on Sodom and Gomorrah, there were times when God had enough, and he poured out. You know, we talk about lightning bolts from heaven, or the flood, or whatever. But more often, God's been long-suffering. And so God has revealed sometimes that what you did will be judged. You're going to pay a penalty now, but judgment's going to fall. And that we call the fall. That's what happened at the tree. And when God pronounced to them that if the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, dying, you shall die. And so the Hebrew says it that way, dying you shall die. And the dying is immediate. There's an immediate dying. That was their spiritual death. Immediately the glory of God departed from Adam and Eve. They knew they were naked. They knew that there was wrong. They knew that something had been done. And so there was an inward loss of connection with God. Immediate dying. You shall die, but there's another judgment that's coming. And that's eternal. 
and the judgment that was going to come would be eternal. And so there will be physical death. Yeah, but physical death is just separation from this, this real life that we're touching because the full dying is going to be eternal when there is full separation from God forever. And we studied that in Revelation. So when God commanded that they were to not eat, there was going to be a penalty, but not an execution. It's okay if I say it that way. There was, there was a penalty, but there was going to be a future execution. And so that execution waited. Thank God, as we read in those passages in Corinthians and Titus, God in his mercy found us before we reached that place. But the passage we're going to be looking at looks at the other side. So God talks about a pending judgment, that there is an immediate sometimes of judgment, but even those immediate judgments are not the eternal judgment that's still yet to happen. Look at John chapter 3, verse 36, bottom of your first page. Whoever believes in the Son has, and I put that all in capital letters because that's exactly the way it's presented in the Greek, has as a present reality everlasting life. Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe in the Son? See your hand. Do you believe in the Son? You have, not will have, you have as a reality right now eternal life. However, there's another side. Whoever does not obey the Son, instead of believing, it puts obey, because the word obey in the Greek language means to, to put yourself under what has been said, to submit to what's been said. And so God has called us to believe. If you will not obey and believe, you will not see life. That's what it says. They shall not see life. They will not see this eternal life. They may live a long life here on the earth, but they will not see eternal life. Why? Notice what it says at the end of the passage. But the wrath of God remains on him. Wrath. The Greek word for wrath used there is the word orge. O-R-G-E. Long E. Orge. And orge, in the Greek language, wrath is pending doom. It's not an execution of anger. It's a waiting. You're waiting. The execution is down the line. You may be in prison. You may be suffering. But the execution is still future. It's a pending doom. And so the wrath of God remains on him. Think of it like a huge weight hanging over your head, pending doom. And so it is that it waits, waits. This is God's long suffering. Top of the next page, Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slow. He's not slow, sorry, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. People, people think he is, but no. He's not slow. He's what? Patient. 
better translated, long-suffering or slow to anger. God is slow to wrath. Macrothumia is the Greek word used here. God is, is, it's not that he's just patient. He is long-suffering, but he's not forever suffering. Because there will come an end. Read the book of Revelation. There will be an end. He is long-suffering toward you, not wishing. Circle that word. I've highlighted it there if you've got it in your Bible. Not wishing. The word wishing, it's a Greek word, means to will, which means to make a plan that reveals your desire. God is not willing. God does not want to see people end up in eternal hell. He's not willing. He's revealing a plan that shows his desire. However, not everybody wants in on the plan. It's like, I got a plane that'll get you out of here. All you got to do is get on the plane. Eh, I don't like the color of the plane. You know, what are they serving? What's, what's for lunch? What's, what kind of seat do I, am I going to get? You know, is it air-conditioned? You know, um, I, I, I don't like the plane. I'm not sure even like where it's going. Well, if you won't get on the plane, you're not going to get rescued. So God has a plan. And he's not willing. It's not his desire that any perish, but that all should reach a place of repentance, that they reach that place where they change their hearts. And when they do, they will open their hearts to receive salvation. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. It's out there. It's long. Some of us feel like it could be soon. But what if it isn't? It's still going to come. We, many of us believe it will happen in our lifetime. And many of us know people who believed it would happen in their lifetime. They're now in heaven. They thought it would happen in their lifetime. It didn't. But you know what? It still will. The day of the Lord will come. This pending doom is out there. Well, you know, when I see the signs, when I see, you know, the, the four horsemen and all of the signs of the tribulation and all that stuff, when I see the sign of the sun coming in the clouds, I'll repent. Mm. Too late. You waited too long so it will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed or exploited Acts 17 we've read this verse before being then God's offspring or his children we ought not to think that the divine being as Paul presented him is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art or imagination of man. God is not some statue. He's not molded, carved, painted. Verse 30, the times of ignorance, that, that kind of ignorance, idols, worshiping other things, following other religions, the time of ignorance God overlooked. That What he means there is this is the long-suffering of God. 
But now, God overlooked all of that, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. God's fixed a day. May could say that like a good Oklahoman. God's fixed a day. He's fixed it. He's fixed a day. What that means is there is a said day. I don't know it. You don't know it. There's not a prophet in this earth that knows it. There's no one that knows it. But God has fixed a day. And it will come. So, what's the, what's the response here? The first line of that verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed. Not in the gospel. The gospel does not reveal the wrath of God. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Does God talk about eternal death? Yes. Does he talk about heaven and hell? Jesus did, yes. But that's not the purpose of the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. The wrath of God is revealed in the earth. As one man said, I put his name there, uh, J.C.F. Uh, Schiller, he said, the history of the world is the judgment of the world. What we see as a history is it's judging itself. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the earth is wearing out. The earth groans to be released. Adam put all of the earth under this curse, and it is waiting to be delivered. That's why much of the tribulation has to do with transforming things in this earth. Why? Because God is redeeming it. He's cleansing it so that it is prepared for the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus. What we see in, in these verses, verse 18 through 32, is the devolution of mankind. Not the evolution. See, the theory and I put that in capital letters, <laughs> the theory of evolution, not the science, because there is no science to evolution, it's theory. The theory of evolution is that it's getting better. Mm -hmm. eh. Okay, I found this on the web. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Siri agrees with me. So, the devolution... The word's not getting better. People aren't getting better. Culture's not getting better. Education's not getting, government's not getting better. Oh, we can all say amen to that. Things aren't getting better. They're what? They're getting worse. Even the basic principles of science, physics, laws of thermodynamics. The second law has to do with entropy, that Everything tends toward decay. Yes. Whatever is there is changing, and it's changing not to something better, but to something less. As it gives off energy through heat, whatever, light. Yeah. And so there are, everything is going downward, except in the theory of evolution, and then everything's going back the back way. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. 
And so what we find in this passage is the devolution of man. And it all started with man rejecting what God had said. God revealed himself. Man took a different route. And so this devolution of life, of society, of culture, of humanity itself reveals the wrath of God. Not a sudden outburst of his anger. That's going to happen. <laughs> Again, read the book of Revelation. There, there will be sudden outbursts of anger. But there's this long progression toward pending doom. The orge. And it will come. So, we're going to break this down into four sections. And the four sections... Uh, start with verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. This first section has to do with, with reverence of God. And the first thing comes with man's irreverence toward God. Now, th there's a Greek word for fear, phobos, which is often used in the reference to the fear of the Lord. But there's also another Greek word for fear, and that's the word sabaeon. And Sabea has to do with treating God as God, seeing God for who he is. See, even, even us as believers, we need to see God for who he is. Don't, don't deal with God as if he's, you know, your brother or, or your child. He's not like any other person. Treat God like God. And if he says things, then believe it. Because he's God, you're not. So, Sabea has to do with this reverence. And this was the first thing that was lost. Man backed away from a reverence of God. God said, do, don't. No, I'm not, please don't. I'm not separating the class here. To, right, admit. Do and don't. God didn't give him a whole bunch of lists. He just said, do this, don't do that. Yeah, but the serpent came along and gave him another idea. Has God said, did he, did he really say that? So he pulled Eve in on the lie and she bought into it. And then she went to Adam and gave him the fruit. And when he ate the fruit, he died. Why? Because there was no reverence for God. He should have taken the fruit, thrown it to the ground, grabbed Eve by the hand, and walked away. Because man fell in Adam, not in Eve. And so, until Adam took of the fruit, nothing changed. So it was that there was no reverence for God. And that was the first thing. I know God said, but, you know, let's change what he said, because I don't like what he said. It, does not, it doesn't fit our culture today. You know, we're, we're too intelligent for that. You know, um, so people in the Bible were so ignorant. We're, 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 <laughs> we're so informed. Yeah. So what does it say? 
The wrath of God revealed from him against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress. The word suppress means to hold down, to, to push down. You can't push something down if you don't know something. They suppress the truth. In other words, they heard it, but they don't want it proclaimed. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to accept it. They suppress. This is that irreverence. This is, I know God said, I know, but we're too intelligent for this. Academia. Back when I was going to seminary, college, uh, when we were chiseling on clay tablets, um, the, um, the big thing was, was a, a doctrine called higher criticism. And this, this principle of higher criticism said that in, intellect sits superior to uh, interpretation of the scriptures. So if it doesn't make sense, then you got to find a way to make it make sense. And so the leader of, of my theology classes, um, he was very much into this higher criticism. And I know, and his point was, I know the Bible says this, but it doesn't really mean that. So what does it mean? And it's like, we're too intelligent to believe this. My professor at uh, the Baptist College was the same way. But the, the point being, they suppress the truth. Again, what is this irreverence? For what can, notice the next phrase, can be known about God is what? Plain. Plain. It's evident. What can be known about God is evident. But I don't like what it says. What can be known is plain to them because God has shown it to them. We talked about this in our last lesson. We talked about God revealing himself. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, his very character, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Clearly have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. All men had to do is look at the stars, look at the earth, look at the oceans, look at the animal life, look at the things that are here, look at time, look at the seasons, look at the, the evolution, the revolution of day and night, not evolution, the revolution of day and night. It's, it's constant. The moving of the moon, you can, you can project, I've got a program that can tell me in any day of the year, of any year that I want to know if I'm on this spot on the earth, where will the moon be at a certain time? And my project will tell me that so that I can get a picture of the moon with this element in front of it. Because it's certain. It doesn't change. These things are clearly perceived. Ancient man understood the stars not astrology true astronomy they understood the calendar the moving of the planets all these things they could see all of that who put all that in order it just happened 
and it just happens to be right, and it just happens to be constant? <laughs> no. So that what? What's it say, last part of that verse, so that they are what? Without. They're without excuse. This irreverence. You can, you can treat God like he's less than you all you want. You can push God down. You can push his words down. You can set him aside. You can put him on the shelf behind you. It doesn't change who he is, what he is, and what he has said. It will happen. And your irreverence has nothing to do with the glory and the holiness of this God that we know. You can't change him, but he can certainly change you. Top of the next page. The second section here deals with ignorance. Not only was there irreverence of setting aside the holy things that God has said, this is what I as God have said, so you set that aside. Now we can revel in our ignorance. And boy, does that explain humanity. For although they knew God, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchange i want you to notice look down through the rest of that of that page how many times i put it on in black bold letters the words they them their they 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 it's all their application but their wisdom was ignorance, foolishness. And so this ignorance begins to grow. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they began thinking wrong, and then their hearts were changed, darkened. Because the first verb is they became is active voice. The next is their foolish hearts were darkened is passive. And so they did this, and this was, a, that's not the result they were looking for, but it's the result that comes from the choice that they made. I know, bad illustration, because you don't like me using this illustration, but you chose to speed, and you received a ticket. See, you didn't choose a ticket. You chose to speed or run the stop sign or whatever. You made an action and this is the result. You didn't want the result. You weren't looking for the result. That's not what you like. You, you could tell the Mr. Policeman as nicely as you can. I don't like this. I don't like, I didn't want a ticket. I wasn't believing for a ticket today. In fact, I don't believe in paper. You can hold that out in front of me. I don't believe it. I can't see it. I don't believe paper exists. You can say that all you want, and then you can think about it while you're behind bars. Anyway, so you, they, they didn't want to become, pardon the phrase, stupid, but that's where they ended up. 
And they weren't choosing that way. They were choosing to think against God. And hey, this didn't stop back thousands of years ago. It's happening right now in schools, in universities, in government places, in homes, in businesses, people thinking their own way that is against the ways of God, and they're going to receive results that they're not wanting, but that's where they're headed. You got on the wrong plane, and you're headed in the wrong place. They didn't want to do this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now you could go 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, I believe verse 16 through the end of chapter 1 and down into chapter 2, uh, Paul's presentation of man's wisdom, which becomes ignorance in the face of God. But notice verse 23. And they exchanged. So here, here's, this is an active this is an active verb. They exchanged. They became futile in their thinking, and their hearts became darkened, and then they made an exchange. They swapped things. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, which they had known, verse 21, for although they knew God, right? Going all the way back to verses 18 and 19, God had revealed himself to them. Although they knew him, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They made the exchange. God didn't change it. They made the exchange. They set this aside and chose this. And so they set aside what God had proclaimed and presented and how God had shown himself. They set aside all of that and took for themselves, images resembling mortal man. They began worshiping themselves, themselves, all right? Began worshiping themselves, and then when worshiping yourself isn't enough, then you find some other image to worship, and that image doesn't work, so you find another image, and another image, and another, all the way down to creeping things, which is, is either bugs or snakes. Um, <laughs> So snakes on the plane, here they are. But, um, and they made all these gods, but they made them. They made them. And they exchanged the immortal God for these things that they could make. Verse 24. Next thing that comes is indulgence. After they have set aside wisdom, after they have set aside the things that God has said in his word, verse 24, therefore God gave them up. Here's the first time that that phrase is found. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. If they're going to worship themselves, if this is where they're going, then they're going to begin worshiping the activities of their bodies, the actions of their bodies, and nothing is more uh, desirous, nothing is more tempting 
Nothing is filled with more lust than the sexual issues. And so sexual issues became a major thing. You can go back, you can study every every religion of the pagan world and all of it involves sexual interaction with supposed priests, with priestesses, with demons, with all manners of things that is sexual perversion beyond anything that we want to talk about. And so they did all of this dishonoring their bodies, allowing these things. And folks, it's not thousands of years in the past. It's going on right now. So these things aren't things that are just in the past. The wrath, <clears throat> the wrath of God is revealed, is revealed, not was revealed. Just like the gospel reveals the righteousness, so the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, so also the wrath of God is revealed in this rejection and activity of mankind to set aside God and to worship himself. And nothing is more of man and his perversion of nature than the sexual immorality that results. Now, what he gets into here, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than the, cre the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. If they're going to worship the body and they're going to worship the creation, then they're going to follow the ways of the body and the ways of the world. And so all of this perversion ends up. And verse 26, and for this reason, God gave them up. Second time. To dishonorable passions. He gave them up. What this means is God stopped preventing it. God stopped suppressing it. God stopped protecting them. He gave them up. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm telling you it's wrong, but if that's what you want, then you're going to find the results of it. I could give you some illustrations of my father using those kind of words toward me, but I won't. So, um, yeah, you're going to do this, then you're going to live with the results. And so it is that man began doing this. And these dishonorable passions were things that are, listen to me, these aren't the cause of sin. They are the fruit of the sin. They're the fruit of this rejection of man. So these homosexuality, the perversions, the sexual issues he's going to talk about, those are just the fruit of the rejection of God. It started with that. What's amazing is he puts this one here, and then he follows it with all manner of other things that come as a result of this when we get into the next section. Look what he says. They're women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women who consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves, notice this phrase, and the due penalty for their error. Not only were there physical things that came as a result of this, it's not what they wanted, but it's what they got, but there were also mental 
and spiritual issues that began grabbing a hold. And the more perverted they became, the more perversion that they wanted. And it just goes like falling down the stairs. It just increases, increases, and increases. And so these were the fruits of them what? All the way back to the beginning, setting aside the reverence of God. Setting aside the reverence and then reveling in their ignorance, rejecting what God has said now, full indulgence of anything that they want. If my body wants it, it has to be right. Like I said the other day uh, in one of my classes, I, whether it's this or the other, um, there's words in a song. Um, if, uh, see, how did, how did that go? Something about how can it be wrong when it feels so right? How can it be wrong if it feels so right? It, because it can. <laughs> That's why, because it can. And, and so... Um, what's another song? I think it was a Motown song. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Um, you know, and so we have these kind of, of expressions and it's like romanticizing those. And it's not. It's not. So God has allowed man to follow this way, to follow the inglorious passions of his own body verse 30 or 28 and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done they did not see fit to acknowledge God the the phrase did not see fit is a Greek word which means did not approve of God. They did not approve of what God had said. All right? And it's the same word found there translated debased, an unapproved mind. So when they did not approve of God, then God gave them over to a mind that was totally unapproved. And their minds, their thinking. You can listen to some of these people. Have you tried? Don't try too long. But they think they're making sense. But it doesn't. And their minds are so perverted in the way that they think. And I, I, I don't want to try to understand where they're coming from. But there's a certain way that I have to say, you know, that's just, that's just wrong. But they don't see it that way. Because they did not approve of God, now the result of that is their mind can't even think properly. There is nothing approving in their minds. He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Say, but that's the God. God gave them up to that. No, look at all the choices they made before you get here. How many times was the word they in all those passages before? They made all these choices. And it's just that God said, okay, I'm done. I'm done. If that's where you want to go, let your minds run with it. But God hasn't changed his way. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, Titus chapter 3, God is saving these people. 
They can come to salvation. Isn't that glorious? They can come to salvation. And God can purge them. And instantly their sin is gone. Gone. Well, they have to pay for it. No. It's just gone. And they are accepted to God. Verse 29. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God. Now notice, all those sexual things that were up in verse 26 and 27, now comes all these other things. We, we, had, we tend to think that those things in verse 26 and 27 were the worst. No, these, that, was just, that was the beginning. Now comes all the rest of this. And so these are all fruits of man's unrighteousness. And this is where man is going in his own purposes. As much as we think of the evil of the issues of verses 26 and 27, the issues of verses 29 through 32 are just as evil. Just as evil. God puts them all here in this same category. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, verse 32. Though they knew God's righteous decree, they knew what God had said, that those who practice such things deserve to die. Now that phrase does not just refer again to things in 26 and 27. It refers also to all those things in verses 29 through 31. Those who practice these things deserve to die. I deserve to die. I did. How about you? Did you deserve to die? We all deserve to die. We're all in this sandwich. Somewhere in there. I'm, I'm, I'm in there. Several places. I won't tell you which. But I'm in there. They not only do them, continue to do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The idea of giving approval, remember how Paul stood there at the stoning of Stephen giving approval? What it means is giving permission. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, this is all right. I've done it. You could do this. Go ahead. They give approval to those who practice. They have to recruit. Bottom line, bottom of the page, God gave them up. This is, this is God in his sovereign choice. Listen to me. God in his sovereign choice made a way for you to get out. God in his sovereign choice made a way for you to be saved. God in his sovereign choice made a way for you to live to his glory in this earth. He made a way. That's his sovereign choice. But in his sovereign choice, he also said, if you want the other way, you can live it. But here's what's going to happen. God didn't choose the people to be in this. He didn't assign people to this, which there are some theologies that hold to God assign people to this. No, he didn't. They chose they, 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 they. Not God. 
They chose, they chose, they chose, they chose. And, but God in his sovereign power and position said, if that's what you want, you can have it. But this will be the result. You can't do this and end up with a different result. That's where God's sovereignty still rules. You can reject Christ. That's your choice. But you cannot change the outcome. This will be what it is. However, if you choose to believe, no matter how far down this list you have been, no matter how much of this list you have done, guess what? It's all removed. And the mercy and the grace of God is poured out in abundance. And you are recreated in God, washed, renewed, and justified. Made righteous and brought into absolute fellowship in the presence of God. Isn't that glorious? Thank God for his sovereign work. Father, we thank you that you in your love for us have saved us from this. You've saved us from a world full of perversion and sin and rebellion that we might live to your glory. And we thank you for this, Father. Help us bring the light to those who need to hear. I pray that as we have opportunities that you will open the hearts of people that we're talking to so that they can receive this salvation that you have given us so wonderfully. And we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.